When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And I'm Ben Bullen. I write some videos here at the website, and I hang out with Scott on this show. Scott, what's going on today? Uh, well, there's a lot going on today. Big happening. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about uh, possibility of driving to the North Pole. Yeah, it's a good question. We love road trips, and so do a yeah. lot of our listeners. Yeah, that's a that's an outlandish one that we're talking about, though. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of far-fetched. Mm-hmm. You could do it. It would take a lot of preparation. It would take an awful lot of preparation. And one of the big parts of that preparation would be uh, the vehicle that you use. Because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You know, you're the expert. Um, I'm going to just make an assumption, and someone will bust me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm going to assume that our uh, awesome Honda Civic and, and Monte Carlo could probably not get us into the upper reaches of, of the Arctic They regions. are awesome, and I would say we'd probably be able to just make it into Canada, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could go. <laughs> no, depends on the, ti- right, the time of year. You know, it even depends on the time yeah. of year. We might not even make it that far. But so that's that's the most important thing because it's so easy for us to forget, you know, uh, the bulk of humanity lives in a very temperate region or a region where it's not always covered with permafrost and tundra and stuff. And <laughs> Imagine so, that. Yeah, but those areas are populated, and those people are just like you and I, have to get places to get things and live their lives. Correct. And they can't do it with uh, normal vehicles in a lot of cases. No, they need specialty, um, you know what, I'm going to say specialty off-road vehicles, because we, we recently talked about off-road vehicles, and Ooh. we said that we were going to take it kind of, Maybe a few different directions. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an unexpected direction that we just mm-hmm. happened across. In fact, it was suggested by uh, one of our coworkers. Yes, this is a suggestion uh, from our colleague Rachel Frank, who you may know as one of the awesome hosts of Coolest Stuff on the Planet, our mm-hmm. travel podcast. Yeah, and she had a fantastic idea that mm-hmm. we talk about these vehicles. She showed them to me, and I, I honestly, I had seen a couple of these things, but she showed me a few that I had never seen before in my oh, life, yeah. and they're really interesting. Polar vehicles. 
Yes. Polar vehicles. So these are uh, these are designed to go into just completely, um, I don't know, um, Arctic. Inaccessible. Un- yeah, inaccessible, unhospitable terrain. Yes. Um, the worst of the worst. Um, you know, crevasses and uh, glaciers and just, you, know, you couldn't take a normal vehicle there. You, well, I mean, I of mean, course you couldn't you take could. you could <laughs> you couldn't take a four x four truck there nope. a typical four x four truck. Um, there are variations on that that we'll see today mm-hmm. as we or we talk about as we go through. But yeah, um, pardon my French, but no matter how badass a four x four is in the in the off roading that we normally talk about mm-hmm. or that we talked about in our last episode, it probably could not get into the North or South Pole without some extensive modification. Exactly, and that these yeah. some of them are modified that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Others are. Purpose-built snow machines. Yes, they're they're built to. Uh, well, imagine a vehicle that can you know uh, go across a 15-foot crevasse and and make it, um, you know, in and out of the crevasse and uh, be able to float and and drive across areas where there there is no ice. You know, there's mm-hmm. water, um, climb hills. Uh, you know, just just basically exist out in that type of environment. And it's mm-hmm. it's really really rugged. Um, I, I would, of course, it's the most extreme cold temperature that you can t- yeah. even think of. Um, Do you have I, an example for I, me? I've got a lot of examples for you. As a yes. matter of fact, we've got um, a big, long list here. And you know what? I think we should go through these pretty quickly because mm-hmm. I found this list on um, provehicles.co.uk. And the uh, the writer listed 13 of his favorite vehicles. 13, okay. 13 of his favorite um, polar vehicles from the Antarctic. And we can just kind of go through these quickly, but it'll give people an idea of what to look for. And you could, in fact, you could even find this list if you wanted to and, and look it up. It's it's called Top 13 Polar Super Vehicles from Antarctic. So the, despite the title of this episode, uh, we should just let our listeners know we're talking about either pole. Oh, we, that's right. We, we thought the North Pole sounded better. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. I'm talking <laughs> about the Antarctic now. We're talking about the South Pole. Well, so. you could take these either way. You could take well, these exactly. to either yeah, pole. Yeah. These. Uh, yeah. Exactly. These are these are fine in either environment. Yeah. Um, let's just start with 13, and we'll uh, mm-hmm. we'll work our way down real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like a van, a big Ford uh, Ford van. Yeah. Um, Comes with a 7.3 liter V8 engine and a total length of six and a half meters, which uh, and weighs five tons. But the interesting thing about this is six wheels. Yeah, that's very odd. If you look at it, it it does obviously have larger uh, wheels that we'll see a lot of times in polar vehicles. They're wider and they're taller, but it has at, at the rear axle it has almost like a double axle. Yeah, in the rear. yeah, exactly. So it's six, three on each side. If you were to look at it from the the side mm-hmm. profile. Um, huge tires, like uh, you know, off-road type tires. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like an expedition vehicle that's for the uh, the Moonraken expedition. Um, that's made by Ford. Yeah, Ford. Yeah, it's a modified. It's, it just says modified truck. It looks like a big van, but mm-hmm. um, it says modified truck. Next one is a piston bully, and I like uh, that name. I do too. Piston bully. Mm-hmm. This is kind of cool. This is uh, this is one where you see it working on a lot of ski slopes, pushing a, a, a um, snow plow, usually grooming yeah. grooming the slopes. It's a tugboat, basically, yeah. for the snow. Yeah, the next one is uh, the double Hagland. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Hagland. 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 Uh, Swedish all-terrain vehicle. Um, has two sections, kind of hinged in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting vehicle. There's a bunch of these, so we'll just go through them real yeah, quick. Yeah, and we'll yeah. get, there's some more interesting examples, I think, later on that we'll talk about it, that have a better story to them. Yes. Or at least a more detailed story. This is just the rundown. Uh, there's also the Delta truck, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a great big truck that can transport up to 20 passengers around the Antar- Antarctic. Mm-hmm. Um, says no belts. It means it works on uh, has wheels. When yeah. it says no belts, it means it has wheels, um, not treads. So no tire treads. Some or of no the tank treads. Basically. A lot of these vehicles have treads. Um, mm-hmm. Just 
for obvious reasons. Like the Sprite, which has it, it also transports uh, passengers. But if you see the Sprite and the Delta truck together, the truck has uh, two axles and wide tires, whereas the Sprite has you know pretty much tank treads. Yeah, tank treads from end to end. It looks end like, to end. and uh, they're kind of curved up at one end. Um, That's one of our crevasse crawlers. Exactly. Yeah. The next one is a Terabus. And I like the Terabus. I think that one looks pretty cool. It does look um, really cool. Terabus is, uh, they say it's one of the rarest ones in the world, but I've got a conflicting report on that later that um, in some other piece of information I've got mm-hmm. here, it says that there are more like 20 or 30 of these around in the world. Okay. Um, not that it's, I mean, that's still pretty rare. That uh, is that is pretty rare. And uh, just just so you guys know, uh, it's T-E-R-R-A. It's yeah. not, we're, we don't have accents transforming it into Terror Bus. No, no. Which would be a cooler name, but. Terror anyway. Bus for obvious reasons. Right. Terrain. Earth Bus. Yeah, Earth Bus. That's right. right. Then there's the uh, Tucker Snowcat. Mm-hmm. The Tucker name associated with this one, but not the Tucker that we're probably thinking of. This one looks like a semi-cab with mm-hmm. a small pickup bed. This one has four individual tank treads at the mm-hmm. corners, and I think that's pretty cool looking. Um, but obviously it performs a little better in the snow than uh, something with wheels would, I guess. And it same. looks like a modification, but it's made that way. Yep. This That's one of our specialty uh, purpose-built vehicles. Let me go through these pretty quick. Yeah, then. yeah. Foremost Nodwell, which is a fire truck in this example, but it looks uh, similar with the tank tread. There's the uh, the Chief Train, also from Foremost, um, used on airfields, probably fueling, that type of thing, mm-hmm. um, cargo loading. Next one is a... Uh, Matrack truck, which is kind of cool. It looks just like any pickup you'd see on the road. Absolutely. Only it's got four small tank treads at each corner, and it looks really interesting. Yeah. I wonder how that handles. It looks like somebody made that. I bet that would be a lot of fun. Well, it somebody did, but uh, a lot of them probably. <laughs> then there's the Mars One Humvee, which is a Humvee that's converted with the same type of track mm-hmm. uh, situation we talked about. The Snow Cruiser, which we're going to get to later in a little oh, more detail. Oh, so cool. Okay, we'll snow go cruiser's, back to that. The snow cruiser is pretty awesome. We'll talk about it yeah. in a moment. But uh, the picture in this one's got a, a small plane on top of it, a biplane. Um, and then the last one is the one probably that's your favorite you said on this list. Yes, the concept ice vehicle or the CIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing looks like it's out of a science fiction film. Yeah, it's a James Bond type thing. It's a James thing, Bond. I was going to say that. Oh. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. We're yeah. on the same page. It's uh, it's definitely spy gear type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I whistled on that one. That's uh, <laughs> it's definitely spy gear type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, eighty five miles an hour. Eighty five miles an hour. That's what's amazing because a lot of these that we're talking about they're limited to around ballpark thirty miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So um, snow, you know, vehicles that can travel in this type of terrain are limited to a certain speed or right. just I don't know if that's safety or if it's just because they're just they're more torque than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they're heavy. They're extremely heavy. Yeah, because they're meant to gain traction. They are big, big vehicles. And, and this uh, thing is rear propelled, and it's on actual, you know, they they resemble skis. Yeah. So three skis. Yeah. And what's it propelled by? Because we didn't. T- oh yeah, biofuel. No, no, no. The, the oh. propeller. Oh, you're, you're missing the big part. I'm it's missing that, the big part. Yeah. You're right, you're there's right. a there's a huge airplane prop at the back mm-hmm. of this thing that that uh, that propels it forward it's 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 driven by air and you probably only one person can ride in it i guess if you're really cool with somebody if you guys are close (laughs) it's your you know girlfriend or boyfriend or something you can squeeze in the cockpit Uh, but that's probably not safe i guess so i probably wouldn't yeah uh, wouldn't push it anyways let's move on to uh some of the reasons why would you do this anyways but the Mm. first is uh there's commercial needs absolutely Um, there's the need to transport people there's a need to transport goods over long distances um, that, you know, like we said, you know, 
impassable, really. Yeah. Um, but they've created these vehicles to do just that. The other is uh, military needs. And, um, again, same reason. Um, you know, they need to transport people. They need to get materials. There's uh, there's kind of an, a Cold War leftover early warning system up in the extreme north uh, for here in uh, North America. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while, that was important for them to be able to access that, service that. Um, also, the um, expeditions use these vehicles to sure. get to and from laboratories that are um, either up or down there. Mm-hmm. And um, when you say expeditions, of course, we're meaning not just uh, – not just tourist expeditions, but also expeditions for scientific purposes. Exactly. Right? Mostly scientific. However, my first example is a tourism. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a tourism example. Um, there is a company um, called, I think it's called, yeah, Great White Bear Tours. And Great White Bear Tours um, take you right out onto the tundra, allow you to view polar bears face-to-face from a vehicle. You're on a vehicle, kind of on a, a big deck, but you're way up high. Uh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. This is, uh, you guys, the dude showed me this one before. This is the one that I said was kind of redneck. Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess. I, I don't know if I buy the redneck. They have a one. grill on the back. Okay, there's a grill on the back. Yeah, I understand. That's something that. my family would do. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know what worried me about this the most? When I saw the photos of people leaning over on that deck, mm-hmm. um, and there, there are several polar bears around this vehicle. And, yeah. of course, they're way up high. They're, I don't know what the height of this thing is, but you know how big the polar bears are when they stand up. Yeah, huge. When these things stand up, you're face-to-face with them, and they can't reach up and touch you. I don't know if polar bears can jump once they're standing. I don't think so. Um, but these camera, you know, people leaning in Ooh. with their cameras and just getting close to the bears, very close to the bears. Mm-hmm. Um, something about it bugged me. You know, they're leaning a little too far over the edge maybe, but I'm nervous on bridges and things like that too. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think leaning over is sort of pushing your chances, but yeah. then again, when are you going to be there again? Hey, I went to, way off topic, I went yeah. to Hoover Dam one time and uh, I was a bit nervous about just kind of peering over the edge. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever been there or not, but it's you know, it's really steep. It's half straight down, very steep, but long way down. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit nervous about that anyways, but I did it and it was fun. Someone comes walking past me with their kid on top of their shoulders. Clo- like right <laughs> right next to the railing. Yeah. And it was a windy day. I couldn't I can't tell I still I still have kind of a nervous feeling about that one specific day and that one specific moment just thinking mm-hmm. about that. So there's something about leaning over an edge on a cruise ship or something I'll just stay yeah. away from the the rail. But you're not crazy about it. You know, it's it's not as if if uh I left a photograph of the Hoover Dam on your desk you oh. wouldn't get freaked out. No, nothing like that. Nothing. Okay. It's the actual act of leaning over the side. Uh, but but okay. I do think Plan about B. I I just think about the, that guy with his kid on his shoulders, and and mm-hmm. I mean, so here's somebody that's eight feet up in the air, kind of balanced in right. the middle there on a windy day at the top of Hoover Dam. Not a good idea. Oh yeah, I guess it is pretty windy up there. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's the way I've thought. So that's I, that's now we know why why you wouldn't be on that vehicle. Yeah, why I wouldn't lean? Vehicle. Well, I wouldn't lean over. I'd like you to would, be on the vehicle. You'd hang out. Yeah, sure. By the grill. Sure. Okay. What's and, next? Uh, well, these things have got to be one thing that I wanted to mention. Looking up this information was that. They wanted to point out that they, these machines run double shifts all day long. They run in snow, ice, um, you know, of course, sleet, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever conditions out there. Extreme cold. Temperatures are, you know, below 20 degrees. Uh, I'm sorry, below freezing, of course. Um, and there's no service out there. You know, they can't get anybody to come out. Oh and yeah, if you break because, down, you can. You can't call AAA. Well, they said there's as many as 20 polar bears around them at one time. Wow. So 
you can't call a, a you know a ter- I'm sorry, a uh, uh, service person or a tow sure. truck to come out and get you in the middle of the tundra with 20 polar bears around your vehicle. They're going to have to bring a polar bear expert. Yeah, exactly. So these things have to be extremely reliable, and they've got you know this. Uh, well, they got this pretty well figured out now. They've got a big fleet of vehicles. See, and I think this is I think this is a pretty good uh, segue into one of the prime differences. Um, now, when I say this, Scott, please don't think that I am implying that non-extreme vehicles are somehow cheaply made, but there's definitely a lot of attention paid to these vehicles that could break down in the middle of nowhere and not be found. Yeah, there's an endurance factor that they have to have. Mm. Um, there's there's just no way around it. You can't have a, a busload of people with, surrounded by 20 polar bears or whatever it would be, even if it's one polar bear. Um, you don't want to get out of that vehicle to try to service the vehicle yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't want to call anybody to come and get you. You can't really. No one's going to do it. Um, outside of calling another vehicle of similar size and right. shape to come out and get you and, and transport people over without ever touching the ground, uh, it becomes a real real difficult situation. So, yeah, they have to pay attention to um, you know this durability factor. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Where do you want to go next with this? I would love to go to, uh, remember when we mentioned we're going to talk about the um, oh the yes, snow cruiser? Please. Why don't you describe the snow, tr- snow cruiser? Oh, because man. It's a cool vehicle. Okay. All right. I'll do it, and I hope I can do, uh, I hope I can do decent service okay. to it. Okay, and I've got a little story that goes along with it. Okay. So the snow cruiser is kind of like a classic car when it comes to the polar vehicles because uh, the – the first ones we're talking about 1940s, 1939, and um, it has two uh, two six-cylinder engines, 300 horsepower. Um, the photograph that Scott and I have on here, it has a plane on top of it. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw this, I was trying to figure out if the plane actually detached and could fly, or if this was some weird idea because it is a biplane it was some weird idea to power it with a propeller the same way that the civ is powered i see i see but uh no apparently that plane is made to leave and i think this is part of an expedition it's got skis in the bottom uh it's a biplane with skis in the bottom of the okay. plane, so it can it can land on um on ice or snow or whatever mm-hmm. you know other t- I don't, yeah i guess it'd be ice or snow I yeah. was thinking water, but no. Wouldn't Probably kind of heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Ponchos. So is it, is it story time? It is. And uh, this one, this is what drew my attention because I was looking at, uh, you know, looking for photos of this thing because it's such a cool looking vehicle. Um, the photo that we have is bright red with a red plane on the top. It looks really right. cool. White wheels, really neat. I found a photo of this thing stuck in a ditch in, where was it? In Indiana. In Indiana? Yeah. Or wait, um, you know, let's get to it. I'll get to it. Okay. Time. Okay. I thought, what the heck is this thing doing stuck in a ditch? It's supposed to be this all-terrain, you know, beat-all vehicle. Right. Um, the article is titled, The Antarctic Edsel, if that gives me any, uh, any indication. <laughs> so apparently this, uh, this, this snow cruiser was a uh, somewhat of a flop, according to this author. And he's got firsthand experience. Um, he wrote, it says that, um, this is a, it says, by Bob Haynes, Special to the Sun. Um, in the fall of 1939, I was only 12 years old, but I remember the event of all events that took place near my home in Lima, Ohio. There you go. Ohio. Lima or Lima? Lima. Um, one of the greatest explorers of all time, Admiral Richard Byrd, was leaving for Antarctica, and he was taking this, he needed this snow cruiser vehicle. It was uh-huh. designed specifically for this expedition, uh, this, this Richard Byrd's expedition. Um, it had to drive, though, from Chicago, where it was built, to Boston, where the, the ship was waiting for it, for it to leave. So it was, you know, publicized that this thing would be driving across the country and it was going to make stops along the way. So come check it out. Yeah, it was, it was, it was called The Coming Spectacular. Life magazine carried details and drawings and, you know, it was kind of, you know, propagating this idea that this is the yeah. greatest unstoppable vehicle. And uh, even newsreels at local theaters were publicizing what's going on. So I'm just paraphrasing this article, yeah, yeah. by the way. Um, it carried a crew of seven men. Uh, measured 55 feet long, 20 feet wide, and 12 feet high. So you're 20 getting, feet wide. 20 feet wide and 12 feet high. So you get an idea of the size of these vehicles, right? Yeah. And at this time, it didn't have the plane on top. That was just the, the idea is that they're going to put the plane on top of it when it gets there. Ah, okay. Um, had twin 150-horsepower engines, and it weighed 37 tons. And um, 
Each of the wheels was 10 feet tall, and each of the wheels weighed 700 pounds and was perfectly smooth, no tread. No tread? No tread. That's counterintuitive. Well, okay. you'll find that's important later. All right. Uh, <laughs> so it was designed to cross crevasses up to 15 feet wide, like we mentioned. It, and the way it did it was it slide its front wheels forward, crosses the gap, and then retract its back wheels, and it could carry uh, ski-equipped biplane on top. Supposed to be uh, the the last word in it. It was a fantastic dream. It cost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen thirty nine to build this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, but the cruiser's trip from Chicago to Boston was plagued with problems. And here we go. Here we go. Yeah, in Columbia City, Indiana, a truck sideswiped it on the road as it was uh, being transferred. So. Well, for Pete's sake, man, it's twenty feet wide. <laughs> I guess so. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, a fuel pump de- developed trouble. And then within six miles of our town, which was uh, Lima, Ohio, uh-huh. uh, the cruiser struck the corner of a bridge and plunged eight feet into a small creek, and it was stuck in the creek for three days. They couldn't get out of this creek bed for three days because it, it wasn't designed for that type of environment, I guess. it had it's in wherever, whatever position it was in, it was unable to get out. And I've got a photo of it here where it's... Uh, it was crooked it had in this to be creek. On its side or something. No, it's just crooked in this creek, and I'll, I'll let you see oh, here. I see the, uh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's not impressive. It doesn't look it, does it? No. But there's a crowd gathered around it while it's stuck here, and this is the unstoppable Arctic vehicle yeah, that everybody came out to see. That's publicity. So it says, while it was stuck, 125,000 people went to view the unstoppable machine while it was stuck in the in the creek bed. Not much going on in Ohio no, that's, at that time, huh? Well, that's, I mean, it was. Again, Life Magazine is talking yeah. about this thing. Yeah, you're right. So it was really, really pushed, really hyped. Uh, the trip took a total of 19 days. <laughs> and I'll well, see. It was quickly discovered. That, oh, when they, when they finally got it to Antarctica. Okay. Uh, they discovered that the vehicle's smooth tires had very little traction in the snow. We had guessed that. You guessed that already. Um, so it only took a very small amount of snow to make it uh, to, to make the unstoppable stopped or halted. Um then later, <laughs> they mounted extra extra wheels to the uh, to the axles to give it extra traction. Um, someone discovered the vehicle actually operated better in reverse. So <laughs> the that's so ridiculous. The I'm only sorry. time that this thing was used, it was driven in reverse. Ninety two miles was the total lifespan of this thing. Ninety two miles, um, and all driven in reverse because they figured out that at reverse it worked better for whatever reason, mm. uh, weight distribution, whatever it was. One hundred and fifty miles. No, ninety-two. Oh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Ninety-two miles. Ninety-two miles, all backwards. All backwards. So uh, then, now this is remember this is the time frame. Yeah. This is 1940, 1939. Um, the ex- expedition went up to nineteen forty-one. The war hit then. You know, a little bit after that, um, and Congress, you know, decided that funding wasn't important for this thing anymore. So they parked it, and it was parked in an underground ice garage. And this is where we get into kind of a little mystery here, which is interesting. Um, in the late 1940s, another expedition found the vehicle, um, decided that it only needed air in the tires, a little bit of work on the engine. It was op- you know, operable, so they mm-hmm. used it for a while. It was then parked again, um, and then it wasn't rediscovered again until 1962, and it was perfectly preserved. Weird. Yeah, so this thing went away for long periods of time, and uh, then you know other expeditions come across this thing in an ice garage. So is it really that bad, that much of a Netzel? Because well, if it's preserved... Well... I, I guess. I mean, that's just a matter of the condi- you know the the, yeah. the conditions surrounding it. Of course, it's still living. Oh, there. sure, sure. Um, get this. <laughs> this is kind of cool. In as of 1985, there was speculation as to the whereabouts of this vehicle. 
so it's lost again. I love speculation. I do too. This is uh, this is pretty cool because the Antarctic ice is con- uh, in constant motion. It says, and in the mid 1960s, a large chunk of the Ross ice shelf broke off and drifted away, and that is the break that happened right through the expedition's headquarters, right where the uh, the original expedition's headquarters were, oh. right in the middle of it, and they don't know which side of the break this thing was on, if it was on the side that floated out to sea and is now, now this thing is at the bottom of the ocean, yeah, or if it's still safe and in some kind of a, uh, an ice garage up there, but uh, I guess they're going to have to dig it out and find out. There's only one way to find out. Yeah, just have to head up there and look for it. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Before we close out, the the quick thing people probably want to know about uh, polar vehicles, you know how sometimes it can be so cold in parts of the world that your engine just won't start. Yeah. So how do you how do you start these vehicles? Engine block heaters. Um, okay. You need to keep the fluids fluid. 
because mm-hmm. at that type of temperature, they get very viscous. Uh, I'm sorry, very uh, very thick. Yeah, like molasses. And, uh, yeah, like molasses. Very very heavy. So the oil becomes so thick that the crank won't even turn inside the the, uh, the crankcase. Which why you have um, electric block a, heaters. A lot. Of, yeah, and a lot of these vehicles you'll you know just have uh, the 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 motors power electric. Uh, elect. I'm sorry, the engines power electric motors that then drive the wheels. So a lot of these are electric. Well, they're hybrid. They're vehicles, hybrids. Really. Yeah, yeah, from a long long time ago. Um, and I won't, I won't go into detail on this one, but sure. uh, definitely look up the Letourneau Electric Arctic Land Train. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really cool military vehicle. It's something like, it's like 600 feet long. Um, again, another electric-powered wow. vehicle. It had 54-wheel drive. Um, the latest version of it did. So check that out. It's called the electric um, Letourneau Electric Land Train. And, you know, you can check that out. I'm trying to figure out where my new favorite Edsel is. Because I th- if you find it, doesn't it fall under salvage law at this point? That's <laughs> I don't a, know. That's a whole different podcast. I don't that's know. I, I don't know podcast. if it's you know it could be yeah. military owned. I don't. I don't know. Oh I'm not sure. yeah, you're right. I just don't know. I'd love to find it. Now, they said another expedition used it until the '60s, I yeah. believe. So here we go, guys. Uh, we're closing with a mystery. We have a missing polar vehicle, and the little bit of advice we could leave off on is. If you and your friends decide to take a road trip, first off, try not to drive your own car. You <laughs> that's know, good, very that, good advice. That's always a kind hey, of, that's maybe, maybe it'll work in reverse. Maybe it'll work in reverse. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's all we need. That's all we need to do with uh, Monte Carlos and Civics. But uh, otherwise, do keep in mind that uh, it, you can have some awesome adventures up there, and it is. I think, as Scott said earlier, uh, one of the ultimate off-roading adventures. Yeah, so it is possible. You could drive to the North Pole, but uh, it's, it's, it's an extreme trip. All right, so as always, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, if you have any ideas for another topic, uh, please send us an email at highspeedstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new High Speed Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.